Father God, I thank you for this opportunity this evening to come into your presence, to hear your word, to worship you, to lift up your name, to focus our eyes on you, not on our circumstance. Focus our eyes on you, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising his shame, and has now sat down at the right hand of the Father, enthroned in glory forever, and who from there reigns for all eternity. You're the one we worship. You're the one we adore. You're the one we lift our eyes to. We lift our voices to this evening. And we praise you and we worship you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Well, I wouldn't normally um, preach and lead worship in the same evening. Um, You know, we we earth against the one-man band. Uh, the, The reason is that I'm teaching on worship this evening. So it made sense to do both. And, um... But I want to come at this uh, from a biblical basis. And, and, and so what I'm going to do is I'm going to start by opening the book of Hebrews. And we're going to go through the whole book of Hebrews. Because, you know, it's 13 chapters. If you don't know that, you haven't read it, you need to read it. 13 chapters of Hebrews. So we'll do that first, and then I'll begin the sermon. Um, <laughs> just so you know what's up, what you're getting yourself in for here. We'll try and keep it, try and keep it fun. So... Um, <laughs> Hebrews 1 introduces us to the idea that Jesus has come to fulfill the prophetic, as a fulfillment of the prophetic messages that have come over thousands of years to the people of God. If you don't know the background to the Bible, most of it happens around Israel. So it's the Middle East. Okay, so it's happening out there, over there. And most of the things in the Bible happen to the Jews who live there, the Hebrews who live there, who are all descendants of Abraham. And so this book focuses to them. It's actually called the Hebrews, which is the name of that um, ethnic group. Um, And it was written to the Hebrews, who were those who, after Jesus had come, were still Jewish and and needed to hear about the good news that Jesus had come for them. So it talks to us about prophecy. It says that Jesus is the fulfillment of the prophecy that's come down through the generation. It says he's the exact imprint of God. Jesus is the exact imprint of God. And so when Jesus came to earth, it wasn't a man coming to earth. It wasn't some great teacher or guru coming to earth. It was the exact imprint of God coming to earth. It says that he's the same God who holds the whole universe together by his power. So that's a good God, like James Brown would say. Good God. Uh, that's a good God. It, it says that he, made, uh, he was made a purification for sin and sat down at the right hand of the Father. That's a lot for one chapter. It says all of that. That's phenomenal. We're moving on. Chapter 2. Hebrews 2 warns us not to drift away from this gospel that we've heard. So if you've heard the gospel, if you're saved, if you've given your life to Jesus, it's not enough to just put your hand up once. We've got to not drift away. So we've got to keep moving forward. We've got to keep going forward with the gospel. That's the gospel that was taught by Jesus confirmed by the apostles. It's reliable, Hebrews says. And it introduces the idea that Jesus is our high priest. We're going to talk about that a lot tonight. But it first appears in chapter 2 of Hebrews. Um, But it says about him as the high priest that he became like us in every way, a brother. So what this is indicating is Jesus came to earth as a totally person person. Like, yes, he was God, but he was a total person as well. Uh, Just like you're a person, I'm a person. He says he was tempted in every way, like us, but he didn't sin. Um, So just like we experience life, just like we go through storms and experience trials and and lose friends. uh, He lost a friend. I mean, he raised him back to life again. Cheating. Uh, He was God. Perks of the job. But, um, But he knew what it was like to go through grief and to experience the trials and troubles that we see in our lives. And so that's really important. Hebrews 3. Jesus is greater than Moses. This was really important for them. It's important for us. But even more so, when you're a Jew and everything you live for, everything that you've been conditioned to accept as truth, came through with Moses. It's really important to know that Jesus is more important than that guy. He's greater than. Um, Hebrews 4 promises that rest will only be found in Jesus. Who could do with the rest? Yeah, yeah, a few people. Like we, we used to do in church from five on a Sunday night, and it, already that's quite late. And then we, we sat down, and Ross is about to start this, and says, it's nearly over yet. Because <laughs> like, about the time now that I'm getting up to preach is when we're coming into land, the other side of the world. So, um, yeah, that's, that's the way it is. Um, but rest, Hebrews tells us, will be found in Jesus. And again, our calling... Um, 
is to follow Jesus, who is our great high priest, who's able to sympathise with our weaknesses, the Bible says. That's amazing. Um, Hebrews 5 describes how Jesus became our high priest. So what was the process? Um, and it also um, <laughs> includes a rebuke to the Hebrews saying, why are you guys so slow to get this? Come on, I wish I could be teaching you something else, but I can't. Um, I'm not saying that to you this evening. Uh, we're doing this because it's what we're meant to be doing. Amen. If I'm talking too fast, never mind. <laughs> Hebrews 6 tells us... <laughs> There's a lot to cover. Uh, Hebrews 6 tells us that we have Jesus as a sure and steadfast anchor for our souls. We talked about a boat in the storm needing an anchor. Jesus, Hebrews 6, Jesus is the anchor for our soul. This is so important because until we know the anchor, we're just going to get washed around all over. And as we were driving down, we, we didn't hit the coast road, but we could see as we came down the road, the coast at the end and the waves that are, may appear to be higher than the shoreline. You know, and you go, oh, okay, I'm glad we're three streets back from the shoreline because that could be problematic. And, um, but when we have an anchor that's sure and steadfast, that is a great confidence and a great hope. And because of our hope, we have this confidence. And it introduces again this idea, Jesus is a high priest. It says he's gone through a curtain. Don't worry about that for now. We'll talk about the curtain in a little bit. But just know he's a high priest who's gone through a curtain. That's Hebrews 6. Hebrews 7 explains the kind of high priest that Jesus is. He's an eternal high priest. He's not cut short in performing his duties by death. But he's able to continue forever. And it says, verses 24 25, Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. Since he always lives to make intercession for them. Isn't that amazing? Just think, one day I'll die. One day Ross will be dead. One day Neil will be gone. Now, I know we're not priests in the same sense that he's talking about here. High priests and a temple situation. But you know, we all look up to certain leaders or pastors who, who are involved in our lives and we hope that we could, you know, hope we can hold on to them because they've meant a lot to us or, and, and then they all die. Sorry, it happens. Um, but not with Jesus. He already did that and he's over that. Like he died, but he got better. And yeah. Yeah. And, and so he now lives eternally to make intercession for us. That means he's better than any priest who has ever lived. Because every priest would have to go and do his thing and eventually he'd die and have to be replaced by another priest who'd keep doing his thing. Who'd die and be replaced by another priest who'd keep doing his thing. Jesus did it once and sat down and now lives forever. That's amazing. This is the God. This is why we have faith. Yep. It's because of this person who we believe in, Jesus Christ, the yes. Almighty God, the maker of heaven yes. and earth. It's just amazing. Hebrews 8 introduces, introduces the idea that Jesus is not only a better high priest, but he is a priest of a better covenant too. Yes. And this is important. In speaking of a new covenant, verse 13 says, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. He says, let's move on. Yeah. Let's move on. You guys, you've been living under this law. You've been living with this covenant. It was great at the time that you got it. You know, like you get your phone and it's good for two years and then it doesn't charge up anymore and you, you're hoping that you're on contract and not on pay-as-you-go because if you're on pay-as-you-go, you might be stuck with that. And, and for the Hebrews, it was very much like that. They were kind of on a pay-as-you-go system and they were stuck with their covenant. You know, they were stuck with the covenant they had. <laughs> it wasn't getting any better. In fact, it was getting worse. Yeah. Yeah. But in Jesus, we get a new contract. Amen. <laughs> That's what it is. It's, it's, a con it's a covenant. It's like a contract. It's a, it's a thing you're bound to. And the old one was fading away. And it's good to go. Yeah. It's good to pass away. It's good to, to get rid of something that's old and worn out and is, is draining you. It's good to get rid of yeah. that. And so the old covenant, which served its purpose, is now ready to go. Says it actually says it's ready to vanish away. That's the Bible speaking, not me. And this new covenant is better than that. And so we have this new covenant. And that's just so brilliant to know that we got in on the second half of that story, not the first half. I mean, aren't you just glad to be a Gentile, <laughs> if you are? And if not, I saved you. Um, Hebrews 9 brings back this curtain that we talked about earlier. It was mentioned in chapter 6 and explains 
what it was, and so I'm going to do the same. If you've read the Old Testament, you might have heard of a thing called the tabernacle or the temple. Moses had the tabernacle built, and um, then Solomon built the temple. Essentially, it was the tabernacle was a tent, but it had like an outer wind curtain. You know, like, you know sometimes you, you get those curtains that you put up at the beach, they're like a, a windshield, you know. So it had a thing that went all the way round, so that created like a courtyard area. But then inside that, you'd come in, there was only one way to come into that, just like there's only one way to come to the Father, Jesus Christ. So there's only one way to come into that, and then you're in this courtyard area where you can perform sacrifices, and people would do sacrifices there, and then there's also a place where you could wash and be made clean. And then there was another tent, it was a closed tent. And about two-thirds of the volume of that space was the holy place, where there was a table, where there was bread, and there was a candle which represented the light of God, and all of that it was all wonderful, there's lots of extra meanings I'm not going to go into tonight. And then the last third, which is effectively as tall as it was, wide as it was long, like this box, inside there was where the presence of God was. And that, for the people of God, was the, the Ark of the Covenant, which you've probably seen in the Indiana Jones movie, with the angels on the top and the gold and with the poles coming through. And, um, and that's there at the end, but no one gets to see it. No one's allowed in. I literally, all the days of the year, no one goes in there. Except one day, one man is allowed to go in every year. And I think it's the Feast of Atonement. Uh, they, they make a sacrifice, they kill a lamb, they take the blood. And one man's allowed in, the high priest. He's allowed to go in to the presence of God. And so he has to make his way through this curtain. This curtain is thick. It's made of multiple layers, very dense fabric. He's allowed through it. Even as he's inside, no one else is allowed to look inside. He gets in with the blood and he presents it at the mercy seat, which is the space between the two angels on top of the gold box. Everyone following? Okay. So we're in a cube inside a tent with a gold box and this is the closest anyone in the whole year is going to get to being in the presence of God. He gets to do it once, then he leaves and the blood that he brought in is good for one year to bleed, plead on behalf of the people. So it will, that blood will speak for the people for one year. For one year, God can overlook their sin. But it will never take their sin away. But for one year, God can overlook their sin. Because when he looks down at the seat, he sees the blood. Instead of seeing the law that was in the box under the blood. And so there's this sense that, okay, okay, we've got another year. We've got another year. Please don't mess it up. Guys, stop sinning. Come on. Because if we can't stop sinning, we've just got to keep doing this. Every year, we've got to bring the blood of a lamb. We've got to put it on the seat. And God looks at the blood instead of the, instead of the law. But then every year, we've got to do it again. So but they can't stop sinning. So they have to keep doing it. It's this perpetual cycle. They're stuck in this thing of having to do this. So that curtain in the temple, it separated the holy place from the most holy place. And it kept the world and its sinfulness apart from God and His holiness. Because God and sinfulness couldn't meet. So now we've got a physical barrier that's separating them. Okay. Hebrews 9 also tells us that Jesus um, didn't enter the shadow of the temple. This, this that we see in the real world, the, the actual physical tabernacle that Moses built and the temple of Solomon later that was made of brick or stone, that was only a shadow, we're told, of the true thing that is in the presence of God. So in that sense, this idea of a mercy seat was because actually there is a mercy seat. That God truly sits on a throne over all creation. And if someone were to actually bring an offering worthy, then he could extend mercy from his throne. So, so that's, that's the picture we have. But what we ever saw, all we ever saw was just a shadow of what was really the thing going on up there. Then we get to Hebrews 10. And Hebrews 10 is normally the one we use when we're talking about worship. And I am going to use it. And I'm also then going to come back to it. Hebrews 10 continues the idea of the Old Testament tabernacle being a shadow of what Jesus would do. It emphasizes that Jesus had one sacrifice for all time. He just did one thing once. For everyone, forever. Amen. Um, that's really important. It emphasizes um, 
that, and then it tells us to draw near with faith. Now, most people think of Hebrews as the faith book. Um, but actually, this whole first part up to chapter 11 has been how Jesus is our high priest. He has a better covenant, and he's made a way for us to come into the presence of God. But how do we do that? Because in the old days, if you were living at the time of Moses, there was actually a tabernacle, like a physical one you could go and visit. And if you were the high priest, you might get to be the guy who went through to lay the blood on the altar, on the mercy seat. But we don't have that today. So how are we meant to come into the presence? It's all very well saying Jesus made a way for us to enter into the presence of God. What does that look like? Well, that looks like faith. So that's why then Hebrews goes on to talk about faith. Hebrews 11 explains faith. So we can understand what it is. We've got to know what faith is, otherwise we can't do it. It starts off by saying, by faith we know that God made the world. You know, Hebrews 11 is often talked about as the hall of fame when it comes to faith. It talks about all these heroes of faith. Do you know, the, the first person on the list of heroes of faith is anyone who believes that God made the world. Amazing. It says, Now faith is the assurance of things hopeful, the conviction of things not seen, for by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. It's amazing. And then it goes on, and then Abel, and then Cain, and, and then it talks about these guys, and Enoch, and it talks about Moses and Noah, and all these guys. It goes on from there. But the first thing is just that we believe that he's God, and that he is the creator, and he's all that. It's amazing. Okay. Very good. It says, without faith it is impossible to please God. But whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists, and that he rewards those who seek him. In other words, for us to come into his presence, and we'll, we'll see what that looks like just now. For us to come into his presence, we must believe he's actually there. And we've got to believe that when we get to where he is, he will reward us. That's faith. Yeah. That he will in some way show himself to us, or yes. give to us, yes. or love us, or forgive us, or whatever yes. the thing is. The, the, whatever the thing is that he must do, he must do it, and we must believe he must do it. That's faith. Yeah. So it's not faith to say God exists. Because yeah. even the devil believes in God. Yeah. He, he, he says the demons believe in God and they tremble. So if you believe in God, you've made it to demon grade. <laughs> you, talk, so you talk to you guys at work, you know, one of your friends at work say, hey, do you believe in God? Yeah, I believe in God. Okay, you made it to demon grade. <laughs> you want to go further? <laughs> you happy with demon grade? <laughs> I don't know if this is necessarily a good, if, if, like, so I have no evidence for this being good evangelism, okay, just so you know. Um, <laughs> but, but it is true. Yeah. I believe in God. Oh, okay, cool. So you've got as much faith as a demon. Now let's see where you go from it. Yeah. Do you believe he's a rewarder of those who see? No, no. If, if God's a God of love, how can there be so much suffering in the world? Oh, you don't believe he's a rewarder. You believe he's someone who hates man and seeks to see him suffer. That's the God you believe. Okay, so you don't believe. You don't have faith. If you have faith, you believe he's a rewarder. That yes, he's a God of love. And yes, there's suffering in the world. Yes, someone's involved in a critical car accident and yet by faith because of his grace because of his goodness someone might be saved and we can't always know why not everyone was saved but we can know that a person is saved by the grace of God we can believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him that's, that's, that's the faith we, we need to have it's the same faith with which Noah built the ark. That's the faith we need to have. A faith that says, you know what? This sounds crazy. Just might be God. <laughs> that was Noah's faith. Yeah. He's like, why am I going to build a big boat? Because <laughs> I'm going to flood the whole world. Mm, never seen that happen before. And I'm 500 years old. <laughs> I've seen a lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah. I've seen a house fly. I've seen a horse fly. I've never seen God flood the whole world with water. But... Um, <laughs> But hey, you know, sounds crazy, might just be God. Let me build an ark. 
That's the faith that we need to have. We need to be engaged with God on a level where not only do we believe He exists, that's thing in great faith, we need to have the faith that says, I believe He exists. I believe He's the rewarder of those who would seek Him. Am I going to seek Him? If I'm going to seek Him, I'm going to find Him if I seek Him with all my heart. If I seek Him, I'm not just going to find Him and be found in His presence and then go, oh, shucks, why am I here? Because He's going to beat me. No, I'm going to have faith that when I'm there, I'm going to experience His mercy. I'm going to experience His grace. I'm going to know His goodness. I'm going to have something handed to me which is of Him, not of this world. Every good gift, every perfect gift comes down from the Father of light, so whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. When God gives, He gives good. And so we've got to know that. That's faith. How do we know that? We know that because if He did not hold back from giving His own Son, how much more will He not give us all things? He already gave us the hardest thing there was to give. He gave His own Son inconceivable generosity and he did that for us so Hebrews 12 says run hard follow Jesus example he calls Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith it says that even the faith we use to enter through the blood of Jesus came from Jesus so we come in by the blood of Jesus but even the faith we used to do that came from Jesus like literally, there is nothing we bring into this except ourselves. We offer ourselves. It affirms that the place we approach in worship is not a place made with human hands. It's not something we can touch or see or hear. It talks in verses 18 through 29, it's not about a trumpet, it's not about a this, it's not about a that. And the thing was, at that time, that was all what their worship was about. They, were in a, they had a temple scenario going on, and there would be the sounding of trumpets, and there would be smells, because there's basically brying going on 24-7. They're constantly doing pigeon brie and lamb brie. And I don't want to tell them a day it's lamb brie, not pigeon brie. I don't know about you, but and those smells, those sounds, the sounds of... Animals being herded through the streets to come into a temple where they're going to be killed for sacrifice. And the sight of blood, they said that the blood would literally run down the streets on the days, on the high days of sacrifice, when many sacrifices were being made. It was a very visceral place to be. It was a very, like, real, like, wow, like, noises and smells and things you're seeing. And what we come to in worship is not that. And so that's why it takes faith. When we come here tonight, there's no clever smells and sights and sounds. Mm. You know, some of us musos will try and be nice how we play, but it's still not the same. Because that doesn't get you into the presence of God. So it doesn't matter how well we play our instruments, we can't get you into the presence of God. Doesn't matter how good the visual production is. Like if we have slides with all the nicest pictures around the edges, it wouldn't get us into the presence of God. Whatever you hear, whatever you see, it's not going to get you in the presence. If, you, if, we had, if we had burnt incense in here, so the room was just pungent with like exotic spices. We're like, ooh, I just feel like I'm somewhere holy now. Doesn't matter. Doesn't mean a thing. And it doesn't get you into the presence of God. There's one thing that gets you into the presence of God. And that is the blood of Jesus. Amen. That is the only thing. It is the only thing. It is the only thing. No song gets you into the presence of God. No worship leader gets you into the presence of God. No great preach gets you into the presence of God. One thing gets you into the presence of God. The blood of Jesus. It's the only thing. And that's why our faith is in Him and in Him alone. If our faith was Jesus plus a great worship leader, it would have to be because we needed the worship leaders to get us in the presence of God. If, if we had to have the right song, then our faith would have to be in Jesus and a song. But actually, there are people all over the world singing hundreds of different songs. Yeah. Many of them in languages we've never heard of, let alone learned. Yeah. And all of them are able to come into the presence of the most holy presence of God because of faith in Jesus and yeah. nothing else. Yeah. So if you're in Uzbekistan and you're singing to Jesus, you can find His presence. If you're in Angola and you're singing his praises, you can come into the presence of God. My brother lives in Bosnia. It's his birthday today. 
Is it? Um, yeah, you can say happy birthday. He might listen to this once. Say happy birthday. Okay, Matt, that's you. So he lives in Bosnia, and there they, they, they speak Bosnian, Herzegovina. I mean, that's what they speak. And they, they write worship songs in that language. And you wouldn't have a clue what they're saying. But they can find the presence of God because of the blood of Jesus. Yes. Amen. That's the thing. By faith. He who comes to God must believe that he is. God believes there. And he's a rewarder of those who seek him. Finally, we belong to an unshakable kingdom. And in Hebrews 13, it starts to list the ways that those who live in the kingdom should live. How can we please God? It says, well, let brotherly love continue for a start. That's a great place to kick off. Like, if we're going to follow Jesus, be like Jesus. Love one another. In the whole of John and John's letters particularly, keep hammering on that. Love one another. If we don't love the brother who we can see, how do we say we love God who we don't see? That's really important. But then there's other things. Have hospitality. Um, Remember those in prison. Uh, Remember those who are mistreated. Um, And let marriage be held in honour. So you you look after your marriages. And uh, flee from sexual immorality and adulterousness. And keep your life free from the love of money. And it goes on and goes on and goes on. It says all these different things that are important for how we can please God. It reminds us here... We have no lasting city, verse 14. But we seek the city that is to come. Are we living in Cape Town, the most beautiful city in the world? Mm-hmm. Not a bad place to be. Amen. But here we have no lasting city. Yeah. Here we have no lasting city. Yeah. One day, Cape Town might look like Ephesus. Have you been to Ephesus? Yeah. I was there when I was younger. Ephesus, it's, it's a dump. <laughs> it all fell down. Everything fell down. Like there's nothing left that's still a building. You, you can't find a single building that's complete. It's all knocked down. They had a beautiful theatre there. I remember when we were there and we stood up in the, we were up in the chairs and the guy, he literally took a pin out of his lapel and said, listen, drop. You could hear the pin from the back seats up in the nosebleed section. Amazing theatre. But it's all fallen down. It's broken. I mean, it still works. The acoustics still work. But it's broken. whole city's broken. One day Cape Town might be that. We have no lasting city. How long does a building last? How long does concrete hold together? How long do roads stay, I mean, particularly in Cape how long do roads stay sound? How long do they stay tarred? One day of rain like we had today, and the roads, they're done. They're like Swiss cheese. And, and I remember we were driving through Mozambique one time, and guy said, here the potholes are really bad. He said, do you think Cape Town potholes are bad? He said, here they're really bad. If you see bunny ears sticking out of the pothole, just slow down and make sure it's not a donkey. Okay. Here we have no lasting city, but we seek a city that is to come. There's a place that God is preparing for us that we have not seen. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor has it even entered into the hearts of man to conceive what God has prepared for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. They're just amazing, amazing thing that God is preparing for us. And so this life that we have, that's all right. We'll get through it. But there's something to come. But in this life, we have moments where we can experience the goodness and the glory of God as we enter by faith into his presence. And so Hebrews 13, 15 says, through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. And so in all of this doing good and loving our brother, all of that is expressions of the goodness of God. But there still comes these moments where we need actually the fruit of our lips. Offering up praise. Offering up acknowledging his name and loving him and giving to him. So the writer of the Hebrews uses the picture of the temple because that's why the temple was given. That's why the tabernacle was given. To be an illustration of something that would come again later. Something that actually already truly exists in the presence of God. A sense of we can come into his presence. It talks about Jesus as a one-time priest. Who had a one-time offering. That was good for all people for all time. When Jesus came through that curtain. He didn't shrug through it. So that no one else could see inside. 
It tells us on the day he died, that same curtain in the temple was torn wide open from top to bottom. That's a thing that happened. Real life happened in Jerusalem on the day he died. So when Jesus went in, now not in this temple, but in the one not made with human hands, he didn't struggle in through the curtain. He tore it open. And then as our one-time high priest with his one-time offering of his own blood, he walked into the presence of God and made the offering that now forever stands for all men for all time so that all of us never have to worry about the curtain closing again. But all of us can come through by faith into the presence of God. And that is amazing. Because that means we're already experiencing in this life Something that really was meant for the next. Yeah. I mean, really, we're talking about a place that only exists in the spirit realm, in the heavenly realm. It's a place that isn't built with human hands. We can't touch it, smell it, see it, hear it. But we can be there by faith. Because Jesus went there ahead of us. That is amazing. Because he's gone before us, we can follow him into the presence of God. But still, what does that look like? (laughs) I was once a guest at Buckingham Palace. Um, If you know where that is, that's where the Queen of England lives in England. And I was invited because it was her golden wedding anniversary. And um, I wasn't personally invited. My dad was invited and I went as a child over the age of 18. Uh, Kids under 18 can't go. And my other brother, who still lives in England, he was upset about that because he didn't make the the grade. Um, But we we were invited to, to a afternoon tea. With the Queen, with the Majesty, yeah, it's really nice. So, so you have, there's a dress code, they tell you how to dress, they tell you how to behave, they tell you if you're going to get to talk to whichever of their Majesties are present. And when I was there, there was Her Majesty Queen and Prince Philip and um, the Prince of Wales and um, Princess Anne. So there was, there was an array of royalty, I got to speak to none of them. Um, and we turn up and we're on the lawn and there's beautiful music and there's amazing eats. I mean, like, no one throws a party like the Queen throws a party, you know what I'm saying? Like, it was good food, properly good food. Um, uh, from all the corners of the kingdom, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, you've not dined until you've dined at the Royal Palace. Um, and then the Queen came in and we all sort of moved into rows and I don't really know how we need to do that, except there were these guys in, in morning suits with rolled up umbrellas who were kind of just guiding us to what we should do. Some of them had very suspicious bulges under the one arm of the jacket, but, um, but everyone just sort of instinctively got into rows and Her Majesty came through and Prince Philip and the others came through and certain people were pulled out of the crowd to speak to them, maybe people who ran charities or, or someone who was the principal of a very prestigious boarding school or something like that, you know. They, captains of industry, they get to say a few words, but you only speak once you're spoken to. You don't initiate the conversation, they initiate the conversation. So if Her Majesty decides to speak to you, you just wait there until she does. And so she can stay you down for as long as she wants, <laughs> thinking of something to say, and you just got to stand there. Like, <laughs> and then she'll initiate the conversation, you're allowed to reply, and then it'll be obvious that you're meant to step back and she'll move on to the next person. Now, as I say, I was there. We, I was one of 5,000 guests that day. See, the more I tell you this story, the less amazing it sounds, isn't it? <laughs> First of all, I was having tea at the palace. Now, I'm one of 5,000 people eating sandwiches in a garden, seeing the Queen from a distance. See, the story doesn't get better. I didn't, I didn't bump into them later and she's like, oh, hey, how are you? Uh, no, we just left and then a pizza guy drove into the side of our car. That, that's how it ends. And, um, and then my dad nearly got arrested for not reporting to the police, even though the police were like right there because you're outside the palace and it sounded like a gunshot with a motorbike company. Total sidebar, you don't need to know that. The point is, <laughs> the point is, for many people, worship is like my experience of going to tea at the palace. Yeah. We enjoy eating, we enjoy the music, we enjoy the sights and sounds, and we watch other people get to talk. To his majesty. But we don't actually encounter him. We don't actually speak to him. We could have seen it all on TV. And so some people go, you know what, I could watch it on TV. 
But some people's experience that day was that they actually touched, actually spoke with, were spoken to. And why is there a difference? Well, for us in worship, the difference is faith. See, at that party, there was rules and instructions. But for the place we've been invited to, there's different rules, different instructions. The thing is, he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. If I believe that I can go to the queen and say, what's up, mama? <laughs> I don't know if I'd have got away with it. <laughs> it doesn't quite show the decorum required of the situation, you know? Let's say your majesty or ma'am or... Uh, I think you say your majesty first and then after that you have to say ma'am. Um, but I didn't even get to try it out. <coughs> However, in coming into the presence of God, we have an opportunity to speak to him face to face every time. Every time we get to worship him. Every time we get to come into his presence. How do we know we're there? By faith. Amen. How do we know we're doing it? By faith. It's the same faith that you got saved with. What happened to you when you got saved? That means you know you're saved. Well, you got saved. That's how you know you're saved. Amen. You got saved by faith. Yeah. Did your life begin to change afterwards? Yes, but only afterwards. Yeah. How did you know in the moment you were saved? By faith. Because you said, God saved me. And he said, sure. Yeah. But you might not even have heard him say, sure. You just knew. How did you receive the Holy Spirit? By faith. Because yeah. it's the only way you can. Because there's no jars of the Holy Spirit lying around. Like, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fill you up with the Holy Spirit. That, it's not a thing. We don't do that. You can't do that. I can't give you the Holy Spirit. I can't give you some of mine. You've got to get your own. That's the whole parable of the virgins with the lamps. You've got to get your own oil. I can't give you my Holy Spirit. You've got to find the Holy Spirit. And who anoints you with the Holy Spirit? And fire? Jesus. So that's from Jesus. So it's by faith. Because you haven't seen Him in person. And He's not physically in the room. You ask Him by faith. It says, whoever asks, Receives. And if God, if you be evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more would the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to anyone who wants? So if we get saved by faith, we get filled with the Holy Spirit by faith. It makes sense. We worship by faith. We don't worship based on our feelings, because then that would mean that salvation was based on feelings, or the Holy Spirit was based on feelings. When we feel goosebumps, we've got Him, and when we don't feel goosebumps, we don't got Him. It's not true. Yeah. We either have the Holy Spirit because we receive Him, or we don't. We're either saved because we've given our lives to Jesus and we've persisted in the faith, or we haven't. Yeah. And the same in worship. We don't wait for the goosebumps. We don't wait for the right song or the perfect worship leader. By faith, we draw near. Now, maybe like me, you've been present at a, a royal event or... Maybe one of you has met the Queen. But for many of us, we only see these things in Hollywood movies or on TV. And so let's look at a moment in the Scriptures where this happened. And let's draw some lessons that will help us in approaching God. There's a lady who was just a normal lady. Growing up overseas, she'd been taken away from her country of birth or her country of origin. She, her name was Esther. She lived as an exile from her homeland. And one day there was a beauty pageant to find a new queen. It all sounds very kind of like reality TV, but that's how it went down. Um, and so she is recommended for this role. She's taken and she's beautified for a year. The prep, beauty preparations took a year. That is a, a lot of exfoliation going on there. <laughs> for a year, they are prepping her and making her beautiful. And after this, and she's up against a lot of really good-looking ladies. Because they would only pick those ones, you know. After a year of preparation, she finds favour in the king's sight. And she of all the ladies is chosen to be the new queen for the king. So she won. Which is great. Except that now she lives in a massive palace. Somewhere. Away from where the king is. Because she's the queen. And the king goes about doing his king thing and she goes about doing her queen thing. And she finds out that her people are going to be exterminated like rats in a sewer. Like there's a guy who hates the Jews and he's planning to wipe them all out. And he's even got the king to sign the thing. And as a Jew herself, she's going, ooh, 
Her uncle says, don't you think because you're in the palace that you're going to survive this? This thing is coming to all of us and it's going to impact on you as well. But maybe you were born for such a time as this. Maybe you could come into the king's presence. Maybe you could come into the presence of God and, and find help in our time of trouble. Maybe you could find the grace that needs to be extended to us. Now Esther is the king's wife. She's been as intimate with this man as any woman ever could be. They're married. So I mean, you know what that means. And yet she knows that this king has the power of life and death over her. And so what we see is this strange mix of fear and faith. Of intimacy and reverence. This is what it means to come into the presence of one whom you love and who has expressed love for you. Who has shown you favour, who has chosen you, who has by their wealth given you everything you need. Who by their administration has made you perfect and beautiful and spotless in their sight. And yet still to come into the presence of that one, there is a certain trembling. A certain amount of trembling which is appropriate given that she knows if she comes into his presence and doesn't find favour, it means death. And this is a beautiful picture of us coming before God. Because Jesus said, don't fear these people around you who can destroy your body. Rather fear him who can destroy your body and soul in hell. You know, that's not a nice way to talk about God. I'd rather like the nice God, the one who's love. That is the God who's love. He can destroy your body and soul in hell. So when we come before him, it's not like, hey, what's up God? You see, when I said that about the Queen, you were like, oh, you wouldn't say that to the Queen. But sometimes we're a bit like that with God. Get a little bit familiar, a little bit like, hey, how's it going, man? Uh, yeah, God, it's just so cool that we can be here. And, uh, yeah, you're my buddy, you're my pal. Or, or we talk so much about him being the lover that we forget that he has the power of life and death over yeah. us. It's not that it's not true. It's that it's both. For Esther, her reality was she had been to bed with this guy and he could still kill her. That was her reality, coming into his presence. And for us, we're the bride of Christ, we're his beloved, but we're still in beauty treatment. (laughs) I mean, like, we're not spotless. And she'd done her year of beauty treatment. And some of us have been doing years and years and we're still ugly. Like, in terms of our soul, in terms of our character, in terms of our sinfulness. Like there's still so much God needs to do in us to make us fully acceptable. And yet at the same time, he said, but I make you acceptable. So you are okay. By faith, you're good. But how does she come? And this is, this is where we'll land. Esther had the boldness to enter based on a hope that she had. We have a hope. Jesus Christ, the anchor of our souls. Whose blood has made a way for us to enter into his presence. 1 Timothy 1 1 says that. Esther enters by faith, knowing the king is already pleased with her. Because of the way she's already been made clean and been set apart for him. And so we too come into the presence of God, knowing that he's pleased with us, not because of what we've done, but because his people have been working on us, washing us, cleansing us, making us holy and acceptable in his sight. She enters his courts, not dressed in her old clothes, not her run around, scrub the floor clothes that she had back when she was living in her uncle's house. She's been dressed in robes that she didn't deserve. She didn't get because of who she was. She got because of the favour of God, the favour of the king that had been put on her. And so yes, God accepts us as we are, but then he dresses us and we need to choose to be dressed in that. Um, he expects us to be dressed right. There's a, a parable that Jesus tells of a wedding feast where he says, oh, in the end, no one wants to come. And the guys who are invited didn't want to come. Yeah, it must have been raining. And so um, there, there's this wedding feast and no one comes. And so he says, we're just going to the highways and byways and just get, get anyone to come. But dress them in these robes. And, and the guy, the father of the, of the 
bride comes and he's looking around the guests and he's welcoming the guests and they're all strangers they're all just guys from the street and all sorts of things guys have been sleeping in bushes and, and so he's dressed them and made them right for the wedding which is a posh wedding it's a king's wedding and he sees this one guy he's come in but he's still dressed in his own stuff does Jesus go oh that's okay you, know, you, you do you he says, no, cast this guy out. It's where there's wailing and gnashing of teeth. See, the Bible was never about you do you. Yeah. The Bible was about put on Christ. Yes. Finally, Esther was able to stand in the presence of the king because he extended favour to her. There was a rule in that land that if you came into the presence of the king and he didn't extend his scepter, then you'd be taken and put to death. But if he extended his scepter, then you could come. And when she went in, she didn't know which it was going to be. She had hope, she had faith. She'd be made royal. She'd been dressed correctly. She came into his presence, but there still needed to be something else. There still needed to be the favour of God extended to her. And as the king put out his scepter, like for us, as we come into his presence, we can know him and say, welcome, my child. Yeah. But he who comes to God must believe that he is and he's a rewarder. She had to believe if I go in, he'll put forth his scepter. And when we come into the presence of God, we must believe as we go in, he's going to put forth his scepter. Yeah. That we're going to actually be received by him. And then what does he say? He says, what do you want? Anything up to half my kingdom. Yeah. Wouldn't it be awesome to hear God say that to us? Because she was pleading, not for money, not for a Lamborghini. She had everything she needed for life and royalty. What she was pleading for was the lives of people yeah. dear to her who needed salvation. Why else would we need to find ourselves in the presence of God other than to plead for the lives of people who need salvation? So we don't want to lose that tension of intimacy and awe. How does this work when we're singing? By faith. <laughs> Sometimes to build our faith, faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. Sometimes we need to be reminded of what the word of God says about Jesus. Yeah. What did he do for us? What did he say for us? How did he save us? Jesus died for us. Jesus went through an excruciating death so that we can escape death and have eternal life with him forever. Maybe you're here this evening and you don't know God. Maybe you don't know that kind of life. Like I said, what we can experience in the presence of God is actually something so real that it really belongs to another world. Yeah. It's real for us by faith. It really belongs to something else. And, 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 and Jesus said that when we accept him, we begin eternal life now. Amen. You can have that today. If you don't know that, you can have that today. What we have to do is we have to be willing to take off ourselves. Yeah. Instead of you doing you, you put on him. You say, I have tried to live my life. I've tried to be in charge of myself. I've tried to do it all. But what I need to do is take off that and say, Jesus, I receive your sacrifice. I thank you. You died so I can escape death. You gave up your life so you could give me life. And when you do that, when you take on Him, your life with Him can begin today. And so we're going to worship. Yeah. But before we worship, I just want to create an opportunity. If we could close our eyes. I don't want to put anyone on the spot. That's not my purpose in here. I don't want to embarrass you. But it could be you're here this evening. You don't yet know Jesus in the way I've described. You don't know Him as your Saviour. You don't yet know him as the one who died for you and gave himself for you. And so this evening, I'd love to create an opportunity. That's you. But I can pray with you and you can begin on a journey of knowing him as your Lord and your God. As your saviour, as the one who extends his grace and his mercy to you. If that's you here this evening, I'd love you just to raise your hand where you are. I would love to pray with you. It would be my privilege to pray with you. Is there anyone you say, that's me this morning? Thank you. Anyone else this evening you say, that's me. I want to pray like that. Yeah. I need to know God. I need to know that he loves me 
and accepts me. I don't want to live in fear of him destroying my body and soul in hell. But I want to live with hope and confidence that he is the anchor for my soul. Is there anyone else here this evening? Say, that's me. Just show me by raising your hand where you are. Then let's pray. We've got a brother here says, that's me. I'm going to say these words and if you join me in, those of us who already love Jesus, you can say these words as well. And maybe you're here and you haven't said prayer like this before, you want to join in and you can tell someone afterwards. Let's pray this together. Say, Father God, I thank you for sending Jesus. I thank you he died for me so that I can live for him. I give you my life. I give you my sinfulness and I give you my goodness. Everything that impressed me about myself, I give it to you. And I make myself your servant. Come Holy Spirit. Fill me. Make me holy. Like you are. Forgive me. For my sins. In Jesus name. And make me whole. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you. You're a good, good God. We thank you. You bring your salvation. Even on a rainy night in Cape Town. We thank you. We can come into your presence by faith. Knowing that it's real. More real than we can even imagine. Lord, I pray now as we come and worship you. Lord, you would bring us a knowledge of your presence. That by faith we could experience you. You've gone ahead of us with your blood. And now we come into your presence knowing you extend your grace and your mercy to us. In Jesus' name.